Good evening, everyone. Welcome into the Creighton Volleyball Wrap-Up Podcast. First episode of the 2023 season. Uh, for the new listeners, I'm Matt DeMarinas from whiteandbluereview.com, and I'm joined by Megan Epperson. And if you're if that last name doesn't sound familiar, um, she's formerly Megan Ballinger, but she had some she had a life event this summer. Got married to former Blue Jay basketball player Jacob Epperson. So she got a new last name, same insight. So she'll be the smart one on this podcast throughout the season. So that's the other voice you'll hear throughout the year. Um, Megan, say hi to everybody. Hi, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so the first episode of the season, uh, first opening weekend tournament, Creighton was in West Lafayette. Funny story about West Lafayette, I uh, misspelled it in my first two recaps of the weekend and then realized that on Saturday night that I had been misspelling it the whole time. So, whoopsie. Um, as they say, I'm a writer, not a editor. Um, so I finally got it right on Sunday, and then the Jays lost when I got it right. So maybe I should have spelled it wrong the whole time. But yeah, the Jays were in West Lafayette for a weirdly titled tournament, some nonsense corporate title tournament. I don't even know what to call it. Should I call it the Purdue tournament? Uh, they played Loyola Chicago on Friday, Purdue on Saturday, and Duke on Sunday. So we're going to break down all those matches for you. Uh, talk about some individual performances as well as team performances, and we will break down the week ahead. And yeah, just kind of get you geared up for the volleyball season, essentially. So, Megan, I guess. I like it. I like that this weekend because uh, I think the first year we did this podcast, they swept through the entire tournament they played in and didn't lose a set. So it didn't give us much of a mixed bag to evaluate. We just kind of had to uh, just talk about all the awesome things that happened. Yeah. <laughs> this one provide this one provided more of a mixed bag this weekend, though. A lot of highs, uh, and then there's some things in the middle, and then there were some things on the lower end of the spectrum, right? So we get to we get to have quite a versatile podcast here for the first one of the season. I guess what uh we'll start with we'll we'll jump into each match individually second. But first of all, your just overall impressions of the team performance and the level that you saw them playing at Friday, Saturday, Sunday as a whole, do you think? What stood out to you? I thought they played at a pretty high level all weekend. Um I think there were points obviously where they got down, you know, by quite a few against Loyola, I thought, and kind of had to dig their way out. Um, then there were points. We obviously were kind of talking like in-game situations that they put themselves in quite a few times in multiple matches where they couldn't put the ball away. Um, you know, it kind of went back and forth into extra points, and we saw that happen with Purdue and then kind of got the best of them against Duke um, on that third day. So, it was a little bit up and down from that standpoint, but one of the biggest takeaways for me was just defensively um, and in server receive. I thought Crane looked great, probably the best that I remember them ever looking, especially this early in the season. I thought Ellie Bolton for sure was my MVP of the weekend, so I was really happy that she got honored with that because you don't often see um, a libero get an MVP of a tournament. So, yeah, I was just happy for her and um, the passers all the way around. I thought it really allowed Creighton to run their offense well. Um, so that was a big thing for me. I thought that was really nice to see. Obviously, offensively, you have a lot of options, um, and you typically do when you're looking at a Creighton team. But defensively, sometimes that can be a question, and I thought they looked sharp on that end. 
Yeah, one hundred percent. You know the thing with Ellie too, and we'll talk about her later. Um, is just like you, you got to be so happy for that kid because, you know, she had a more. I guess you. I guess it's becoming old fashioned, right? Where you start as a freshman and then lose the spot to veterans the next two years. Like, I think normally you see a kid like that go to some go somewhere else and you know try to find a guaranteed spot some, a different program right i don't know how common that is like I, I i but i imagine that's less and less gonna be a situation where you stick it out with a program where you feel like you're a high level libero and you should be playing right like so to start as a freshman and then not not get that spot as a sophomore and junior and then to win it your senior year like that's pretty cool right like that's a neat little storyline um, so good for Ellie, especially getting an MVP right out of the shoot. I can't remember the last time a libero took home a tournament MVP. I don't even know if it's happened in all my years of covering this program. I right? don't that's... remember. I don't remember ever happening. Honestly, I feel like sometimes they don't even make like the all tournament list. Which right? I, yeah, but we've complained MVP about. Right? Is uh-huh. like is a big deal, and I think that goes to show like the coaches, you know, of the other teams are seeing that people that put on the tournament and they're noticing, wow, like she's incredible back there, which sometimes you want to look at the hitters, you know, mm-hmm. and give them all the accolades. And I think she set, obviously she set all of that up by passing really well. Um, I just thought she took care of the ball and I thought she put it on Kendra's head, just about every opportunity she had, which was really impressive. Yeah. And that was, and the thing that I guess popped about it was, that was a fierce battle in preseason. Like I, I think right up until, gosh, I don't know even know when the coaches made the decision. But when we talked to Kirsten on, uh, I believe Monday was their the press conference, uh, pre pre tournament press conference. I don't think she had made up her mind at that point yet, and I don't think the coaches had kind of told the players, you know, where they what their roles were going to be yet. That was coming out of the Northern Colorado exhibition match where all of all three of them played. Uh, Ellie Ellie played. I think she started. Uh, Sky got a look, um, and Sydney Breisinger got a look as well. Uh, freshman walk on. So like they all wore the black jersey against Northern Colorado. They all got a shot at it, you know. So it, it was kind of a eleventh hour decision, right? And to see Ellie kind of. Get the nod and then respond. That's the other part of it too. Like, because I bet for a coaching staff and for probably the team, when you know that that's a position where it's not quite settled, I bet you're going to sleep at night as a like wondering, you know, what Friday's going to look like, right? You know, and then to see her, you know, put the put the jersey on and go out there and 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 win an MVP in the first tournament, like that has to just breed confidence into the rest of the team and the coaching staff all the way up and her as well. Like that she, you know, she got the nod, but then she earned it with her performance under the lights. Right. Like that's, that's reinforcing, isn't it? For sure. And I think obviously, like you said, she's somebody who's stuck around. Right. And I feel like she's like a perfect example of a Creighton kid. Like she embodies Mm. kind of the culture and is very like team first mentality. And for somebody that's never gotten in college an accolade, you know what I mean? Like she's never been all conference. She's never been like preseason this, all tournament that. For somebody to come in in the first couple of weeks, win the position, like ball out and then get honored for it, I think 
is really cool and a very cool way for her to start the season and hopefully just continue playing at that high level going forward. Mm-hmm. Let's jump into the Loyola match. Uh, you know, I mean, just to kind of introduce people to Loyola, if they aren't familiar, um, it's the, you know, the A-10 champs from last year and they bring back every single player. Like they were, so they were a top, I think they were just outside the top 60 last year, but they made the NCAA tournament. Um, they were A-10 preseason favorites again this year. Um, you know, and just brought back everybody so that, like, you know, when you know you're going into a face a team that's got everybody back, like, what's the challenge there? Do you think, you know, because you know you're facing a veteran team, a team that's won, a team that has expectations, with a team that probably has fewer question marks in their own mind, right? Like, they kind of understand their roles, they know what they're supposed to be doing out there. Like, that's kind of a scary first opponent, don't you think? I think so, because, you know, a lot of times teams are at that point in the season right now where they're shuffling people in. And you saw Creighton do that a little bit with the right side position. They're kind of trying to figure out, okay, who fits best here. But for Loyola, they're like, this is our lineup. And we've been playing next to each other, you know, for well over probably one year, two years, right next to each other in this lineup in game situation. So sometimes that can be a little bit daunting for new people that come in. And when you don't have that, I think it just helps you play consistently maybe a little bit better. Um, but I thought Crane handled it well and obviously Loyola veteran team. So they they know what they're doing out there. And I thought that showed as well at times. I mean, the games were pretty tight. Mm-hmm. Um, and Crane had to play from behind, like we mentioned, mm-hmm. um, which was impressive for them. And at the same time, Loyola's, you know, kind of kicking themselves for not putting it away a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, so you kind of have that like game, I guess. That's that's volleyball though. It's always back and forth and big big lead changes and everything like that. So the six Oh run to start the first set, Loyola just jumps right on, right down Creighton's throat. Right. Like, um, <laughs> and it's like, Oh man, you're in an Oh six hole right here against a team that has a lot of veterans. Like you don't expect, I guess it in my mind when I'm watching it, I go, well, I didn't, I didn't, I, I didn't necessarily think the first set was a wrap, but I think when a veteran side gets up six, nothing against a team that has, more question marks at different spots and probably isn't as settled at least going in. Like I didn't think, you know, there's a lot of positions there that like, I'm not sure Creighton had an answer for definitively. Um, so to go down six Oh and have to burn an early one. Uh, I kind of felt like, Oh man, well that first set's kind of, you know, I think they just had to build momentum late and, and, you know, try to figure some things out and maybe re- regroup for set two and, and beyond. And then they were even down once they kind of got into the match a little bit, they started trading points, siding out at a higher clip. Um, and then they were down 21, 16 at end game. And again, you're feeling like, I mean, that's, that's a, that's a tall task right there. Cause you know, Loyola has got, you know, like we said, like they've got things figured out at this point more than most teams would because of how many vets they brought back. So for Creighton to dig out of that and go on that nine, three run to close it out. I know they had, they had a tough time finishing the set after they went on huge runs, but they did win a set where they're, you're down five at end game and the team needs, you know, that your opponent needs four to put you away. Basically it's to trade points the rest of the way. Like Loyola's inside out game at that point. They're probably feeling pretty good. How do you think Creighton dug themselves out of that? Like what, and what did it show you in, in them doing that? Yeah, I think it just shows you, that they're, they play level-headed. And I think you have a lot of people and personalities on that team that they're consistent people. And at times, 
you want them to maybe to be a little bit more aggressive, maybe have a little bit more urgency, but at the same time, they kind of play at that like steady eddy level. I think you have a lot of players that kind of embody that. Um, so it doesn't rattle them, which I think is good. Um, but like I said, the flip side of that is, okay, can we have a little bit more urgency? Like, can we get two kills back to back? Can we finish a game? And so I think you just saw them continually playing consistent volleyball and that's really what they needed to do but weren't doing at the beginning of the match so they kind of worked their way into it i thought and how about the surprise of the weekend i guess if 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 we're putting aside ellie bolt and elibero winning uh mvp of a tournament that's obviously the the most surprising part of it but ellie playing well we've seen her play well in the past though so that's not as surprising um amory remis sophomore middle blocker Grabbing that starting spot out of camp. And, you know, it's it's kind of interesting because we talked, you know, we talked about this during the weekend. Like when you're seeing them in the gym, it's all it's all different. Like I think you have I think you probably could name some teammates that were just killers in practice. Like you just like you just don't you hate going against them because they know your tendencies and like but you know like in matches, like that stuff doesn't always translate, right? Because it's different when you're facing familiar opponents and you kind of have things figured out and you're just giving them a hard time in scout or not. It was hard to figure out if Anne Marie was it was like really that player or if it was just one of those things where she's familiar with the people in the gym and she's, you know, savvy enough to take advantage of some things. That's not the case. Like she killed it this weekend. Uh she was definitely a surprise for me because she didn't she didn't flash this beyond you know some some spare playing time last season as a freshman right so for her to go out seven kills no errors hit 467 uh but it wasn't just like it wasn't just the numbers it was when you know especially at end of game one i mean she had she had a really hard kill on that quick set in the middle where the i don't think the set and the connection was clean but she found a way to put the ball down on a just it just you know the connection wasn't right, but she put the ball down anyway, which is really hard to do, as you know. Um, and then she comes up with a solo block. I think when uh, Loyola tried to run that, she comes up with a, a, a block touch, I should say, that led straight to a in system big transition kill for Ava Martin that gave them set point. So I mean, it wasn't just her efficiency throughout the match, but it was when she did it. Like, what were your impressions of Anne Marie? And I guess how much of a surprise was it to see her play at that level uh, right out of the shoot as, as a sophomore who didn't really play much last year? Yeah, that was, it was crazy. Honestly, like I was very surprised, obviously you watch them more in practice in the preseason and everything like that. So I wasn't super familiar kind of who was leading that battle, I guess, for the middles. Um, and it maybe sounds like it really wasn't very clear either, like in practice. So she was a major surprise for me. Um, obviously, we didn't really get to see her much um, last year. And I thought when she came in, she did a good job. But I didn't really expect, you know, that to translate to a starting role and being really efficient um, and doing some really great things. Like you said, she had some really big block touches. And those are things that maybe don't go as noticed. But the big swings, I think she's a, she's aggressive, which I really like. And she's not afraid. You know, no matter the time of game, she's going to go for it. And I think you need somebody in that position to do that. And I think she really fits the offense well. I think Kendra finds her well. She hits the slide 
Um, you know, her and Kiana, I think probably hit the slide the best of all the middles that they could potentially have. So I think for that reason too, she fits kind of Kendra and what she likes to do as well and what her strength is because she sets the slide really well, maybe more than she sets, you know, in front of her. Yeah, the one thing just to touch on something about uh, Anne Marie's kind of uh, mindset that you just touched on there. If if you if you guys read the write up of the Purdue match, uh, Kirsten Bernthal Booth had a little um, anecdote about something. I think it was maybe in set one when that was getting tight and Purdue was rallying. Um, Anne Marie, as a sophomore middle blocker, who again hardly played last year. There was a moment in the match where she turned to Kendra, Kendra Way, you know, who's played basically since the jump and is a third year setter. Uh, just give me the ball, like we're like assertive. I want it. Give it to me. It's end game. I don't care. I I'm ready to put this thing down. And she told Kendra, give her the ball, and then she got a kill after at right after it. And it's like that that kind of stuff right there. That's that's just you can't teach that because that's high pressure meeting confidence the confidence in yourself to tell your veteran setter like hey we need a point here they're coming after us like this is slipping away give me the ball and then for Kendra to be like all right you want it yeah. here you go like and then to put the ball down like I know you know what that's like as as a hitter um to be at end game to need a point to need to get a side out like Tell me what's what that tells you for about Anne Marie that she told her veteran setter, give it to me, and then to put it down after that. Yeah, I mean, I just think it means you're a baller. Like you're just competitive. I, you know, I wrote down notes too. At 24, 24, she had a big swing. And then at 26, 24, she had a big swing in that first set. And for me, like those are the crunch times where if you're not that person, you don't have that personality, like you're not getting the ball, right? Because I'm not going to trust somebody like I'm not going to set somebody that's like, eh, like they're nervous to swing away. And for her, I like that she didn't tip. She didn't go away from what she was doing. She was aggressive. You know, she didn't do anything outside of like her ability, but she just kept doing what was working. And she wasn't afraid of it at 24, 24, 26, you know, 25, 24, and then to score that final point. So that was impressive for me um, because that killer instinct, like you said, you can't really teach it. And I think they need somebody that's like that. And for her just to be a sophomore and just have to step in that role, you know, it's the beginning of season. I think that's really impressive too. One thing that stands out to me from, from a practice situation that I can recall right now is, uh, they were doing serve receive and Anne Marie was serving and um, like, you know, you hit the ball in the net and you got to run like, you know, to the net and back and then serve again. Um, so she made an error. And I think Ellie Bolton was like, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, she wasn't trying to do anything bad, but it was like you, when you're in serve receive and someone serves in the net, your energy is like, yeah, we just got a point, you know, you have to like simulate that. Right. So Ellie was doing that, and Amory was like, "Don't celebrate my errors, Ellie." Like that was, and I I think that they don't. It's not like they weren't like bickering, but it's just like I think that tells us a little bit about Amory how competitive she is. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, there's some bite to her. You know, it's not just, it's not just technique. It's not just like muscle memory. Like she has a competitive side that I think is starting to break out of a shell here. You know. 
Because for her to execute in those moments that we saw this weekend when the lights were on, for her to go to a veteran setter like Kendra Waite, when she's got hit, like, hitters she trusts all over the floor, and Anne-Marie isn't in that group yet. Like, she doesn't – they don't have a lot of reps together to the point where Anne-Marie has the kind of the 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 mileage to say, hey, listen, like, I know we need a point here. I'm the person you need to set. Like, I know you got an All-American on the pin. I know Ava's been killing it. I know you trust Kiana on a slide. Like, give me the ball. Like, I'm getting this thing down. And then when you do that, if Kendra's like, you just kind of like, all right, fine. We'll give you a shot here. Like, I'll set you up. And for her to say, for the whole point of it is for Amory to call it out and finish it. That breeds confidence into Kendra that she can set Anne-Marie in any situation. It breeds confidence into Anne-Marie that she can kind of speak her piece a little bit and, you know, come through. And it also gives her teammates confidence in her to be a player at the end of at the end of a set or at the end of a match that's saying, hey, look, like, we don't have to be a one-trick pony. We don't have to be predictable offensively. Like, we can make a defense have to think twice about who's going to get the ball here and who's going to put it down. Right. For sure. And I think for Kendra too, she's like, yep, I feel confident because you know, she, she knows she's ready to swing away and she's going to be aggressive. And like you said, I think you just kind of have to build, build that obviously. Like she hasn't been in those tight situations where it's high 24, 24 and you're playing a top 16 team, right? Like she just has not been in that position before. And for her to execute, at that moment, at the beginning of the season, I mean, hopefully we'll kind of lay the groundwork for future games when it's tight that, okay, like, what does the defense need to think about? Oh, they they might go to her, right? Because maybe you're like, I'll go to Norris. Oh, no, like, she's not afraid to set the middle, right? So it's those types of things that when teams are scouting Creighton and they're like, oh, no, like, she trusts her, right? Like, you want to get to that point where you trust all of your hitters, um, to put that ball down in crunch time. And that's what makes the team really special when you have players all around you that could score at any time. And how big is it for Creighton to kind of not have a drop off there? Like Kiana Schmidt had a breakout year last year and we, we, you know, we documented and broke down how, how effective she was on that slide, especially, you know, just because of the way she can kind of the angle she can cut when she, you know, hits it at the highest point. Right. But that has some interchangeability there and to have that, that particular play be so effective, whether it's Anne-Marie running or Kiana running it. How, how important is that? Like to establish that early to, to, to breed confidence into two options at that, that, at that particular set. And, um, you know, when Creighton runs that play, like they can feel confident in whoever's getting the ball, that it's going to be an aggressive swing, an accurate swing, and they're likely to gonna get points out of it. I think it's huge. Um, and I mentioned it before, but I really think the slide plays on Kendra Waite's strengths because I think yeah. she sets the slide well. And I think, you know, middles last year would come in, but I don't think anyone hit the slide as well as Kiara did. And so I think at times you'd see that disconnect in front of the setter where the quicks would be off a little bit or you just mm -hmm. want to quite connect. And so I think for Anne-Marie to have the ability to, she can hit a quick ball, but we can also run on a slide and she hits that really well. And I think when you feel confident kind of hitting the same set over and over again and having success with it, I think that's huge. 
Hmm. I was waiting to see if they were going to run Anne-Marie on a slide and bring the right side over for a two. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll do that sometime, you know, in transition. Cause I thought that would be a really great play just to even kind of break up the defense a little bit that way and still capitalize on the slide when you have a right side there, because that's the one thing Anne-Marie's in those positions where she usually has a right side up with her in two rotations. So Mm-hmm. I'll be interested to see kind of who they run on the right side and if they can move people around a little bit more. But I think it just opens things up when you have somebody that can hit a slide, especially because it's really hard for blockers to defend, which we saw this weekend. Yeah, I think the right side rotation is going to be something that we have to watch closely yeah. to see how it develops, right? Because that was something maybe this weekend that didn't really pop as a as like a um, something you would trust in any situation, right? Like it's not that they didn't. It's not that the right side didn't have. Uh, moments, but it, I don't think it was a situation where it was like, oh yeah, we we have this as an option anytime we want it. You know what I mean? It was kind of like it had to just be there. Um, so that'll be something to watch going forward for sure. I think uh, going into the Purdue match now, transitioning over because the thing that Creighton did really well against Loyola Chicago, I think translated also against Purdue, and that was their end game execution. But the but the the one thing that was different from the Loyola match to the Purdue match was the start of each set. Uh, Especially set one, like Creighton got out. Like I said, they got into an Oh six hole right out of the, right out of set one in against Loyola and kind of had to just chase them down. Right. It took all the way to end game for them to do it, but they had to chase them down against Purdue. They got off to a really good start and that started with Ava Martin. You know, they, so Creighton lined up with Nora Sis obviously in the back row because she's a really good passer, right? Um, so she's not your she's not your front row pin to start a match, which kind of gives you some. It gives me some kind of question mark, like how is Creighton going to start offensively? Like because if Ava's off, then Creighton has to wait to get Nora into into the front row. Like they have to you know get rotated multiple times to get her in the front row before she has a chance to even get a swing off, right? Like otherwise she just attacking out of the back row, off the net. You know, it's not that Nora can't terminate like that. She obviously has every trick in the bag, but that's easier to defend um, than Nora on the pin. Um, So how big was the start that Ava got Creighton off to in set one against Purdue because of the way they lined up, you know, just to set a tone for Purdue to let let them know that, you know, when they're in two-hitter phase, I think that's two-hitter phase, right, when Ava's uh, front row and Nora's back, right? Like, that's... Is that I not... think so. I forget how many rotations it is that she has. Yeah, two me too. But just for Ava to set, just for Ava to put that in Purdue's mind, like I'm athletic, powerful. Like I've got, I've got shots. I can hit the cross court corner. Like I can tool hands. Um, you know, I can blow up blocks. Like that was that that to me was huge i thought that set a huge tone for the match because ava got off to a great start she honestly had an amazing weekend that's why she was offensive player of the week in the big east and all tournament team from that tournament but i think in particular to get off to a really good start against a team like purdue that has a lot of physical hitters and like feeds off its offense if creighton had got off to a slow start out of that rotation i don't know if purdue's going to be as easy to chase down um if you let them get going early, right? So what did you think? How big was that start by Ava, especially where they line, where Creighton lined up to start it? I thought it was huge. I know I wrote down, like, Ava Martin swinging away. Like, I was, like, loving yeah. that she was just swinging away um, and just really going for it. And I think 
you want to start aggressively. And I thought Creighton connected really well, whereas I thought Purdue maybe didn't connect as well with some of their outsides to start that match, which kind of helped, um, you know, obviously it was kind of the storyline of star outsides for Purdue, right. And like how to contain them. So I thought for them to struggle and then for Ava Martin just to kind of put some heat on the ball right away was, was really big. And then of course, Creighton kind of had some serving troubles, um, but I'm sure we'll get to that part. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I just, it was big, obviously you start a match and you're in a small gym that's really loud and it's not your fans. I think for you to be yeah. aggressive right away is a, is a really strong start to a match that's going to be really competitive. I think this, the, I think, you know, I know uh, it's a two in one weekend and I know like you come home on for loss and then you're probably not feeling great, but this, the, the Purdue match told us a lot. Because it's a true road match in a Big Ten gym, a rowdy environment. And I think it's a really talented team. Like, I think Purdue probably doesn't feel great about the weekend they had. They lost to Loyola on getaway Sunday, lost to Creighton, um, the top 20 matchup they had, even though they, they pasted Duke on Friday. But, you know, when you look at Purdue, they have so much young talent. You just think, like, you just know, especially as consistent of a program as they've had, that they're going to get better as the season goes on. I, I If you listen to their broadcast, it, they, I think they're kind of like hitting the panic button a little little too early. <laughs> that that guy was going through some things because uh, I don't think he was expecting Purdue to have as much trouble as they did. But this was a tough tournament for everybody, I think. Like Duke is a team that um, when you look at the season they had last year, like they're trying to, you know, bounce back. Loyola is trying to prove that you know, last year was a stepping stone for them. Like all the veterans they have back, they're trying to elevate the level of their program. Creighton's trying to, you know, uh, figure out who slots in where. They're replacing some veterans on the floor. They're replacing their libero. Uh, they, they have some leadership that needs to be replaced in in Jayla Zimmerman and Keely Davis and Jazz Schmidt. Um, so there was like a lot of question marks. And then Purdue comes in with, the number three recruiting class in the country, the number one overall recruit in the country, a lot of, uh, you know, international experience on the U S Olympic team. Um, like, so there was question marks for everybody. And I think Purdue is a team that clearly has a lot of talent that physically they look the part, but I think the thing that stood out from this one were two people in particular, um, Kendra Waite and Ellie Bolton. Like I thought they, I thought they dominated this match in the way, in the ways that they can like Kendra, you know, five kills, like 15, 15 attacks. Like that's what you, you, if you have a setter, that's that aggressive that always is trying to make sure she's an option in the offense and, and a risk to to terminate quickly. Like that, that, that stresses the defense out. So for her to get five kills and be efficient with no errors, uh, she had 34 assists, but also it was the type of assist she had where, you know, it's it looked like her decision making was on point. She was really manipulating the block, and I mean, she was setting some crazy cross court back sets. Like one to Kiara, I remember just j- dropped my jaw because I was like, I don't even know how you could put that ball in that spot at that tempo as a back set and get a termination out of it. But it was crazy. Uh, she had ten digs, so she was effective defensively. Two aces, no errors, so she was dangerous from the service line. Five blocks, so she was a presence at the net. Uh, and then Ellie Bolton, just like in terms of, you know, Chloe Chacon, uh, or Chacon, sorry, and Ava Hudson, just really dangerous pin hitters. Um, and Ellie was just like on, in terms of scout 
and reading tendencies and understanding where the ball is going and getting it up and helping Creighton be in system. Like those two to me felt like the difference in the match. Um, just with their passing, their tempo, the blocking, the serving, serve, receive. I don't know. I think they were the two that like clearly made the difference between what Creighton was doing and what Purdue was doing. What did you see as as things that stood out to you as why Creighton was able to get a sweep against uh, against the host school? I mean, the first thing for me, it was just serve-receive passing. I thought, I mean, there are very few balls that I even remember, like, Kendra even having to come off the net for, which is saying a lot because, you know, Purdue serves really tough and you have... They were serving like, really aggressively, yeah, right? Yeah, you have, I mean, jump servers that mm-hmm. you don't see that every, every day in your gym, obviously. There's nobody that does a jump top serve. So mm-hmm. you have some really physical athletes hitting really hard serves at you and they're just nailing passes. And I thought, for me, that was the biggest thing when you watched Purdue, then serve Steve Creighton. Their setter was moving a lot compared to mm-hmm. Kendrick Wade. So I thought that was probably the biggest thing. Um, obviously, there are a ton of service errors, but at the same time, you know, you always talk about, okay, but we got to serve aggressive. So, you know, it's that balance. I think sitting there, you're like, wow, we had 12 service errors. <laughs> you know, so that's just a lot. But at the same time, they had six aces compared to Purdue only had two. So yeah, the- yeah, that's 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 the interesting part with serving, right? Like, yeah, the team because the teams that are more aggressive are going to be more error prone. That's just the that's just kind of how the game is. Like, because you're you're trying to put temp, you're trying to put pace on the ball, right? But sometimes you just miss by a little. Like, it's hard to be really accurate. And you were a great server in your college career, so you know, like, how that mentality is of going back there and knowing what happens when you nail an aggressive serve. Um, and also knowing what happens when you just like put one over, right? Like you can't, especially with a team like Purdue that's as physical, like you can't get in your head as a server because if you're just sending easy balls over the net, they're going to be pounding them down your throat. Like, so you have to be aggressive. You have to be willing to make errors in order to get them out of system. Right? Like that's a weird, it's a tough balance to strike, especially when you're dealing with a physical lineup that, you know, if they're in system, you're in trouble, isn't it? Exactly. And I think obviously they have great outside. So even if they're a little bit out of system, they've got that option. But I thought there were many times even like their setters at the 10 foot line. And is she going to set her middle? It didn't seem like that, right? Like she wasn't looking to find her middles off the net at all. So then it neutralizes and then you can move, you know, move your blockers and kind of like relax a little bit. Okay, I just have to go pin to pin. Like we're not going to be worried about somebody hitting a quick and Purdue has really talented middles. And if you're Purdue, I think you're looking at it and you're like, man, we got to get our middles more balls because it would just open everything up for them. But Creighton just did a great job of neutralizing that by putting over tough serves. Yeah, I think that's one thing that, uh, you know, Kirsten mentioned, Coach Booth mentioned in the in after the match too was like they felt like they could get Purdue in predictable situations if they could just keep them off the net, you know, not even like having the setter just clearly chasing the ball down out of system, but just a little bit off the net. I think Creighton's staff felt like they, they would be more predictable and that they would know where the setter was going and they would know how to defend it. So it wouldn't even take something terribly dramatic of a serve just to make sure, you know, you'd serve tough, you know, and make that setter have to be a little bit off the net because then you know where she's going with the ball. I mean, uh, Chacon had 50 attacks and Ava Hudson had 34. So that's 84 of their 128 
total swings right there. So that's a really predictable offense. You know what I mean? Like, and if you're identifying tendencies and you you figure them out early, like it's easier to defend a team that you kind of have figured out because you can always be in the right position. And then it's just about execution. Like, can we get our hands in the right spot? Can we time our blocks right? Can we time our jumps right? You know, can we get, get good touches? Um, can we force them to hit where we want the ball to be hit and funnel it to our liberos, funnel it to our DSs uh, so we can be in system in dig transition, right? Like all of that is is a huge part of serve receiving. It's like a chain reaction, isn't it? Oh, for sure. And I think that's crazy. I haven't looked at the amount of attempts, but yeah, it really neutralized them. And like you said, it wasn't anything crazy. Like Purdue wasn't errant with passes. I thought it was just they're pulled a little bit off the net and you're like, oh, they're going to their outsides. And I think Creighton has physical blockers. And then obviously you have Ellie Bolton and other DSs back there. And they took some really hard driven balls, but I thought they controlled it. And I think that was also a difference. When Purdue got a dig over, I thought they were still off the net. And I thought Creighton had that ball on the net on Kendra's head, even on hard driven balls, which you don't always see happen. But then Kendra becomes an option offensively. And so I think that's why this match was so good from a defense and serve receive aspect, because even, you know, when they could maybe pull it off the net, they said, nope, we got to be a little bit better. We got to get it on the net so we can run our middles in transition. And we have to have Kendra be an option, you know, put the ball on her head, get her on the net when she's front row. So those sorts of things that are like little details. I think they did really well in this match. Yeah, and just to kind of highlight serve receive because I think there's a there's I think first ball kills is kind of where you see um, which team is kind of winning the serve and pass in my opinion. I don't know if is that would that be fair to say like if you know because first ball I think if you're if you're efficient on first balls it means I think you would be in system more. Is that fair to say? Yeah, for sure. Okay, so first ball the first ball disparity between Creighton and Purdue. Creighton had 27 kills and they hit 472 on first ball swings. Purdue had 12 kills and hit 175. So to me, that's like a that's a dominant disparity in serving pass. Like I think that means that Creighton's in system more often. They're like you said, Kendra's closer to the net. She has more options. She can set the slide or set the pin or set the middle um, or set the back row. And Purdue with like twelve kills on one seventy five hitting, that that to me says you're a little bit predictable. Like you're setting your outsides a lot, and they're having a lot of attacks. And because you're hitting one seventy five, which isn't terrible, but if you're below two hundred, I think that means you're a little bit predictable, and you're you're obviously facing, you know, four hands most of the time. So you're basically at the mercy of, can you tool, you know, can you tip, uh, or can you just like you know get the timing off of the blockers a little bit. I think that the having a 300 point disparity in hitting percentage on first balls and to have double over double the kills, I think to me tells the story of this match that Creighton dominated serve and pass, especially that they dominated first contact in particular, that, that Kendra had options off of first contact more often than, than Purdue did. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. For me too, I thought the impressive thing was the digs. Like I said, like, those yeah. heart-driven balls, I thought they put those digs not just in the middle of the court, but they put that ball up towards the net where Kendra could run any option she wanted. And you don't always see that. I mean, you have really heavy hitters coming at you mm -hmm. and you're digging basically perfect balls multiple times. You know, yeah. I don't remember many digs where, oh, I need one more step and the ball's like off or we're trying to put a free ball over. Like that just didn't really happen. I thought they controlled things. 
-hmm. when they could. And obviously Purdue's going to get big swings because they have great athletes and they're going to get kills. But when Creighton had opportunities to play good defense, to get block touches, I thought they did those things and just controlled everything. Those little things, they just controlled really well. Let's talk about that a little bit. They transition. Uh, I think, you know, I think there's different terminologies for it. I think Nebraska calls it the well, Creighton calls it the donut. Um, but explain that area of the floor that you want the ball in on big transition. Like where do you want your passers to put the ball for your setter? Knowing that, you know, when you're in, when you're in big transition and you're, and you're defending that the ball off your hands probably isn't going to be, you know, you're not going to pass threes all day long off of, especially against physical lineups like Purdue. So talk about the well, which is where Creighton, that's what Creighton calls the, I think it would, I guess you would call it the kill zone. Like that's where you want your setter to be. That's where you want the ball to be. What is that spot on the floor and why is that where you want the ball in big transition? Yeah, it's just, so it's like the middle portion of where like the 10 foot line or like the three meter line. So the middle of the court, it's right between where I guess your front row would start and where your back row begins. Um, Mm. Yeah, you just want to usually dig like that's what they say, like dig. Obviously, a lot of these balls are really hard driven. So you don't want to get to the point of trying to dig it so perfectly where you're digging balls over the net and you're Mm -hmm. getting kills coming back at you. But you want to pull it off the net a little bit so you have options and your setter can kind of run, you know, behind her or in front of her. She can set the back row attack. Um, Yeah, so I think it's just a safe zone to be, but. Obviously, if you can get it a little bit better, like if the ball's mm-hmm. coming a little bit slower or you're in really good control of the dig and you can get that ball on and you have three hitters across the board plus a back row, you have four really good options that the blockers have to pay attention to. Um, so I think that's, I mean, that's why you want to try to dig that ball there. And um, it just neutralizes defenses because there's so much going on um, mm-hmm. when they get to that point and trying to get back to base and set up their block. So yeah, I just thought Creighton did that really well. I was just really, really impressed with how they dug um, and all the options they had in dig transition. Yeah, that's where I mean, Ellie and Sydney Brysinger were just, just ridiculous mm-hmm. um, in get, in keeping Creighton in system in dig transition. Yeah. Um, even though they even though they terminated terminated better um, on first balls, and that's probably where the difference in the match was. Uh, I mean, twenty seven of their forty eight kills were on first balls, so like they were serve receive was probably the biggest part of it. But dig transition, they outplayed Purdue in that area too. So it's, I think it, it was a big factor. Um, Kendra Way's decision making. Obviously, we talked. You know, she did everything like in this match. Um, you know, she was tough to hit over. You know, she was tough to. You know, she, again, defense and blocking were there, um, and that's kind of she's always been great at those as a setter. That's kind of what makes her a special setter is is her ability to defend and block. Um, but the decision making, you know, when the dump. Uh, where to put the ball, um, but also like when when she was setting up her offense, uh, what stood out to you with her decision making? What what were some of the things that you felt like differentiated her performance from maybe Purdue's setter, and why Creighton's offense was able to to be as effective as it was, you know, throughout the match um, because of the decisions she was making with the ball. Yeah, I thought she trusted a lot of people. Um, And obviously, I think people proved, you know, why they should be trusted in big game situations, even in that first game um, that they played against Lola. But yeah, I thought she kind of distributed pretty evenly. Um, And then obviously, so yeah, 42, Norris had 42 swings, Ava Martin had 41. So both of your pins are even disparity. Uh, Kiana Schmidt had 16 swings, Anne Marie Remus had 10. 
So the, the, the middles and uh, on the slide and in the middle are getting even disparity too. So they had four hitters basically getting even distribution. Um, like we said before, the right side is kind of the only one that doesn't have a lot of trust right now, but to have both of your pins with even attacks and then both of your middles with even attacks. I mean, that tells you that she's got, you know, she, she trusted the four hitters out there and she was that kind of fed into her decision-making. Right. Yeah. And then I think she sprinkled in 15 for herself and obviously which, get five pills. Which, so which you she can't always, which you love. Yeah. You love that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I thought she did a great job, obviously. I mean, she's all over the, all over the floor doing everything, um, you know, as per usual, I guess at this point. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I just thought, I mean, an overall complete game, I think, for her. This is probably one of her most complete games. Um, you know, just blocking-wise, defense, assists, kills. She really, I think, balanced her game well and just did every skill at a really high level, which is hard to do. Yeah, for sure, especially at that position, too. Um, so the two things that were consistent about Creighton from day one to day two was end game, right? Like, um maybe 0.25 was a little ominous and we should have seen, I think that <laughs> getting the final uh, set point, if you will, was uh, more of a struggle on Friday and Saturday than we maybe gave it credit for because they were plus 19 at end game. They outscored Purdue and Loyola on Friday and Saturday, 42 to 23 at end game, which is when you get to 20 first team to 20, right? That's when end game is starts. That's right? what I, right? Yeah. That's what I think. Okay. You're the expert on this show, so no one's going to argue. Um, so Creighton outscored Purdue and Loyola 42-23. to 23. That's plus 19 in basically five-point phase, essentially, right? Like, that's a dramatic plus-minus, I think. It was a different story against Duke. Um, they were minus six in that match alone. And I think, you know, when you look at how many set points Loyola and Purdue were able to save against Creighton, I think that's something that they probably have to work on this week. Don't you think like, I mean, I think you actually like, you know, when you think about trying to put a set away that final ball, that final point, that final, like the final difference, um, you know, Creighton had set point, obviously they, they dominated Duke and set one pulled away in that one, but they also had, they were first to 24 and two, three um, and four. And they only won one of those sets. So, I don't want to use the word alarming because it's week one. That's just it's that's just silly. Nothing nothing's alarming in week one. But what did you see as uh maybe a, a culprit or two between all three days really in final in getting that final clincher? Like because they did have a Loyola had a had a furious rally. Um Purdue had a furious rally. Like 25 was tough to get for Creighton. Getting the getting to set point was not hard. They got to set point. You know, I think first in every set except number five against Duke. So they were first to 24 in every single set except for set five, the last set they played on the weekend. But getting 25 was hard. Why do you think it was so difficult? What did you see as, as some of the contributing factors? Man, I don't know. Obviously, it was really frustrating to watch because you're just like, get back-to-back -back points, close out the game, right? And you're just, uh, as much as I'm like, yes, just just do it. It's obviously not easy. Um at times but I don't know I mean at times I thought some decisions that were being made of who to set maybe could have been a little bit better um you know kind of go to your first option I think at that point in time even if you're up one I think you should still be going to that option a right like the person who's gonna 
prove that they've they're gonna put down the ball um and has done so. So I think at times maybe there could have been other decisions um made on who you're gonna set. And then, you know, I don't know. It's just that killer instinct, right? It's like who are we gonna find that is gonna put the ball down? Um man, I don't know. Obviously, both teams, you get to that point and teams try to raise their level because it's do or die at that point. So I think you have that into play too. I mean, you have teams that want it and they're going to go all out and dive over scoreboards and things like that, you know, when you get to that point, which we saw. So yeah, I don't know. It's something they really have to shore up and I'm sure they will practice. I know there's a drill we did um, where you had to score two points or you just automatically lose. And I'm sure that will be something for that starting side that you have to score back-to-back points. Otherwise you lose because they they were in that position so many times and we're not able to do it. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, I think the thing that stood out to me and I, I noted it, it's – it was it's it's that tough balance that you talked about with being aggressive but living with whatever happens after you make the swing. Like I didn't see Creighton not being aggressive. I think decision making was a big part of it, like you mentioned, but I didn't see the once, you know, whoever got the ball, I didn't notice that a lack of aggression to get to finish uh as a culprit, which I think is good because that's the part that goes, that comes and goes. Like, I think you lose sets because you pull back a little bit. Like, you start tipping late because you don't want to make an error and you want to put the ball down, but you don't want to be the one that sends it into the crowd, right? Like, um, so I think the fact that they were aggressive is good. But I think the, I think the, I think the part where they didn't finish, I think that bleeds into it a little bit. So I think it started to mount a little bit. You know, even though they swept Loyola, even though they swept Purdue. I can't help but think it was in their minds that they weren't clean on the last point, even though they dominated endgame, right? Like putting the sets away was hard. You know, they had to stave off rallies. They had teams saving set points. And then when it happened again against Duke, that's got to be in your head, right? Like you have to be like, all right, this is day three of this crap. Like we, why can't we yeah. put the ball down? Why can't we get that? Why can't we get 25? Like what's, what's so hard about this? You know, we get, we play such good volleyball up to this point. Why is the elusive set winner all of a sudden so difficult? Why are we scratching and clawing for, for point 25 when it's the same volleyball we've been playing throughout the whole set at, up to that point? Like that has to mount a little bit from a, it has to be in your head. Do you think so? Like, <laughs> When you, when I think you, that's you, a good point. I honestly, like sitting here thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, like once you get past 25 and you're trading points and you're tied yeah. and you're nearing 30 and you're like, God damn it. Like somebody finished this, yeah. right? Like, it's right. just like, this is like, why? Like, why is this happening? Why can we not mm-hmm. put it away? You know? And yeah. I think you get to that point of like, why can we not do this? But at the same time, you're like, all right, I got to put this ball away. Right. So it's like that balance of like, I still have to be competitive. And I'm not going to tip the ball. I mean, that's just not like what Kirsten would preach, right? Or what Creighton Volleyball would preach, like not a strategic tip. Like you're going to swing away. And if we lose, we're going to lose swinging and being aggressive. So I think you have a lot of things in your head of like, what is happening? But at the same time, like, okay, we still got to be aggressive. Like we still got to finish this match. So yeah, I think, I mean, mentally a little bit, you're just like, what's happening, right? Like, why can we not put the ball away? And Especially when you have your team leaders, right? Or people that usually you're like, yep, she's good for a kill. Like she'll put it away. Like kind of those mm-hmm. people at end game that you're like, yes, like this is the person that will end the game. When things aren't going their way too, I think that kind of creeps in and you're just like, man, like what is happening? Yeah. And that was one of the main 
questions we got that I think pertains to the weekend is how do you improve that? Like, how do you train that? How do you get better at that? Um, because like we've just touched on here, there's a lot of components to it. Some are mental, um, some are physical and the way you, way you go about trying to get set point. Um, so what to you are some remedies to shoring up that particular deficiency? If you're, if you're struggling to get set point, what are some of the tricks you would see in the gym throughout that week or the weeks to follow in order to improve in that particular area? I think, I mean, I touched on it a little bit. I know like there's a drill, like you would have to score two points in a row to finish a game to win. Otherwise you lose automatically. Right. And I think mm -hmm. that's a good tool kind of like for that starting side to be put in those positions where we have to put this ball away, you know, otherwise like we're done for. And I think they saw that like in live action, like we mm -hmm. didn't put the ball away twice and now we lost a set. So for me, that's one thing. And then I think another thing you could look at maybe diversifying your offense a little bit, because if you have great passes, maybe we run a pattern. Maybe we try to disrupt the blockers. Um, you know, maybe you run somebody on a slide that hits really well on a slide. And then you bring someone in on it too to spread your offense. Um, I think those are things that you could maybe look at. I didn't really see Creighton run too many patterns um, and things of that nature um, as much as I thought maybe they could. Um, and that's always something I feel like that maybe evolves a little bit into this season where you try yep. to figure out, okay, are we a good passing team, right? And I thought this weekend they proved they were a really good passing team. Um, so I think those are things you could look at because if you have great passes, I think you can move people around um, and just disrupt blockers. And maybe that's something for Creighton too. It kind of takes the stress levels off, right? Instead of like Nora Sis is going to get set the ball and she's going to have yeah. a double block or a triple block. And we know uh -huh. that it's going to go there. So I think for her too, it just creates a little bit more freedom and we got to change things up, especially when you're trading points back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, trying to do the same thing. I think throw something new at the wall, right? And see if it sticks, see if it, sco it scores. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, the, and the, the, the thing with that you mentioned with the passing is I thought Creighton passed it pretty well against Duke again. Like I thought offensively um, they were in good position to terminate at a high clip. Um, it fluctuated. It wasn't consistent throughout the match. Um, and they traded points a lot. Like I don't, I think Creighton's ability to go on runs wasn't quite there against Duke as it was the first two days. They didn't really have any big punches. They had, I think they had one in, you know, obviously in set one, they had some big punches, um, which is why they, they pulled away late and won that one decisively. The rest of the match though, like honestly, they were, even though they got, I think they had late runs in the end of each set to give themselves set point. I think they had 24, 22 and two and three. And then they were at 24, 23 and four. So there was a late push there, kind of like there was on the first two days. Um, so those were consistent. But they're, uh, from two through five, they were chasing. It felt like they were chasing the game. Like they would score, Duke would score. Duke would score two, they would score one. Um, they would score two, Duke would score one. Like it just felt like nobody got away from the other one. Um, so the ability to put together like set changing runs, like those sustained five point like oh we got to burn a timeout like make our opponent really think about what's going on here change the complexion of the momentum that wasn't really there on sunday right like did, what what did you feel like stopped creighton from putting together sustained runs where they were piling points on top of each other um and making duke kind of put duke on the back foot a little bit because it just felt like it was back and forth the whole time 
Yeah, I did feel like it was back and forth. And I, you know, I don't know if it was always Creighton doing things. I thought at times Duke had some for sure like, go off, right? And like we just saw things that people got really energized, came in and really energized like their team. Um, yeah. So I think at times it was that. And Duke played really emotionally, I thought. I mean, they played yeah. off that well. And then they were able to stack a few points together. Um, and for Creighton, I maybe didn't see that happen as much. Um, but that's also maybe not the identity of Creighton, right? They're, they're not going to be like the loudest, most rambunctious celebratory team. Mm -hmm. Right. But I thought they played consistent. Um, and then they went on runs when they needed to, I think you just maybe want to see them get that earlier. Right. It's like, you almost get to your, to a point where your back's against the wall and it's like, oh shoot, Mm -hmm. like we got to catch up. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think you want to put yourself in positions where that point spreads, maybe not so far or, it's a little bit closer in there. So I think those things of having urgency a little bit earlier before you're like, oh, shoot, like we got to go, right? Those are things that sometimes if, if you're not thinking about it, you can just let the let the spread kind of get there and get bigger and bigger before yeah. you realize it's time to go. And when you look at Duke's side out percentage, it's particularly important to, I mean, it's it's obviously tells the story that Creighton was in, unable to put sustained runs together. Like, Set one was obviously an outlier. Like that was dominated by Creighton in all phases. Um, but Duke's side out percentage in two was sixty three percent. In set three, it was they were twenty out of twenty six. So that's ridiculous. Sixty uh, percent in set four, and they were eight of eleven in set five. Like they made Creighton chase them the whole time. So I think it it gives Duke confidence, right? Because Duke probably went in there, they got smacked by Purdue, they got swept by Loyola. But they probably went in on Sunday, like with a reset, like just play carefree, play for each other, play with some swagger, play with some confidence, bring a lot of energy because, you know, there's not going to be a lot of fans in the gym. So if you simulate that yourself, you can feed off of it yourself because there's not really a, an adverse energy in the gym because the crowd's not going to be against you. There's no one. It's just you versus them, basically. So I think Duke's energy, um, you could see it was um, what's the word I'm looking for? There was a purpose behind the way they were playing because they felt like, okay, look, the first two days were unmitigated disasters. We're not, we're not, we're not getting those back. So we've got a team coming in here. That's top 20. It's a chance to build, put it on a resume. Like if you just wipe Friday and Saturday and come out with an energy and build off of it, you can have a good day. And I think Duke built into the match. Like they obviously got rolled in one, but they came out ready in two. Um, and just kind of made Tra- Creighton uncomfortable because I think because like that's the thing that if Creighton's not going on runs, and if you get that mentality of like first of all, for for the first two days they had trouble putting sets away, right? So that's something that plays into Creighton's mind. The other part of it is like, you know, we're the we're the we're the front runners in this tournament right now. We took care of the two toughest teams. Um, maybe if we kill them in one, they roll over for us. And when they didn't roll over. I think that energy fed into Duke's confidence and Creighton's a little bit. Don't you think? Maybe? Yeah, I think that's probably a fair assessment. Um, I thought, yeah, obviously Duke, they played with a ton of energy. Um, and like you said, they really did build into it. Like that first yeah. set, you're just like, all right, like this is going to be a wrap, right? Like just the energy. Did, did you feel that way too? Like you saw the way the first set played out. I'm like, yeah, there's two more of these coming right up. Like we're done in less than 90 minutes. You know what I mean? For sure. Because yeah. especially I just didn't think Duke, like the energy wasn't there. 
Yeah. And then like you said, that... they worked into it. And then mm. it's like, oh, I found energy and now I'm going to use it. And I, I thought they really harnessed like the energy and the excitement for really good things for their side, yeah, which was 100%. cool to see for them. I'm sure, obviously. I mean, and at the same time, it's like they have nothing to lose. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's freeing to be able to play that way of like, we started the season 0 and 2, like, mm-hmm. all right, we want to start 0 and 3, but like everyone is betting against us in this match right yeah. so i mean if, if we point, go for, yeah like if we go for it what are we what's what's the worst that could happen yeah, exactly exactly yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah it was interesting uh where did i want to go next we talked about end game oh okay ending the weekend on a loss so i know uh, like i'm a little bit tongue in cheek here but like obviously Undefeated weekends mean ice cream. So that's kind of like the fun thing that Creighton's program does. Like, um, so, you know, that's kind of what you're playing for at the end because Creighton won the tournament still. They notched two great resume wins um, away from home, one true road win. Um, that's like they, they bolstered their resume this weekend. They did a real, like, that's a, that's a, that's a positive weekend um, objectively for Creighton. But you've talked about this several times. You mentioned, I, honestly, you mentioned as a player back when you were going through it, and you've talked about it a lot on this podcast. Like you don't want to go, you don't want to go into practice that next week off a loss. Like there's just a, you just hate that feeling. Like why? Um, what do, what does a weekend feel like when you play good volleyball, but you end it, you go home with an L like that's the last feeling you had what's 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 that like and why does it suck besides the fact that you lost like obviously it just feels terrible and I think I mean most people will tell you like losing sucks more than like winning is great right like yeah most yeah. people that are in this like they're just like I hate to lose and uh-huh. so for Crane, like okay we sickness with you people honestly like you guys are that's that's gross but like yeah it's just the, the fact that you like, that you hate losing more than you enjoy winning is yeah it's it's yeah true. it's just the thing like you obviously beat two good teams but like if i was a player i think i'd be like great like we beat purdue but we went and lost to duke like what mm-hmm. what's wrong with us right like right it's just that balance of like we were expected to beat Duke, right? And mm-hmm. I mean, hopefully they go on to have a great season and that becomes maybe not so bad of a loss for them. And at this point, like, it's not terrible, right? But yeah, nothing, nothing. Is, yeah, there's nothing set in stone right now, right? Yeah. Like, you'd love to have a win, right? Uh-huh. And to start off 3-0. and And so I think for that one loss to kind of end it on a low, low note for the weekend, I don't know. It could be a good thing for them too because mm-hmm. you could work, you know, you work harder in practice and – a loss shows you things you need to work on. And obviously I think they already had a lot of things they wanted to work on, but for them to beat Purdue, I think you come out of that and you're confident. I mean, you swept Purdue at home. So I think for that loss to happen, I'm interested to see how they come out and play because a lot Mm -hmm. of times, at least when I was playing, like we'd lose and we'd come out and we're ready to go. Right. Cause we're just pissed. Like we're just pissed that we lost that game that we're not supposed to lose and we come out ready to go and take care of everything. So I'm interested to see what kind of team shows up at the next match. And I would expect it to to be one ready to go and just to, to play lights out. So hopefully that's the case. I'm not sure how many times in your career you guys ended the weekend on a loss and then lost that first one the next weekend. But I'm almost I'm betting your record, your turnaround record was really good because like, yeah, you had that mentality of like, you know, you just feel like it's like it's like eating a bad dessert. 
You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's just like it just ruins the it ruins this? the yeah. night. Yeah, it's like what the heck did we just come to? Why we come to West Lafayette? Like nothing matters. We just lost. We're coming home. We're all pissed off. I hate this feeling. Like now I have to think about it all week. Like Duke's the last thing on my mind. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, nothing else matters because it is funny. Like I, I've seen the reaction to it. Like. Trust me, people think this weekend was like a, a a net negative for Creighton, and I'm just like one. I I in what I do, I try to like see the whole picture, right? Like, yeah. I'm sure as a team, you guys do it too. Like, I know you. I'm sure you did it when you were a player, and I'm sure this team's gonna do it. Like, look, we lost a five setter where like two, like all three. That's two, three, and four went extras. Like it wasn't. There was no. Nothing ended in tw- at twenty five. It was all extra. It was all bonus rounds, bonus points, whatever you call it. Um, and then it went five. Like it's just it's just a crap shoot of a match. You know what I mean? But it's not one where you got rolled over, where you played like crap. Like you still played good volleyball. You just didn't put the ball away at end game. Like that's just one phase of it. Like I think when you sit back, take a deep breath, and just try to assess the whole weekend, Creighton played a lot of good volleyball. So I think there's a reason. I think there's reasons legitimate objective reasons for the team to be confident off this weekend, despite the fact that they're probably going to have a bad taste in their mouth and the next opponent is probably going to get the ramifications of that. Um, but I think when you're, here's the, here's the thing for Creighton is like, I'm interested to see, you know, the killer instinct. Cause that's the part that you're, that's the part that where you see the response. Like when you finally get gut checked, when you finally get humbled, um, what's, what are you going to do about it? You know what I mean? Cause it's going to happen. It's a, Three month season, um, in matches. It's longer than that in practices, especially for this year because they had summer training with an overseas trip. So it's a long season. So you're gonna get. You're not gonna be at your best. You're not gonna win every match. Like no one does it. Um. So how Creighton bounces back? The fact that they have a home tournament now, it's their home opener. There's gonna be a lot of energy in the gym, from players, fans, family, friends, everything, student section, like. It's going to be rowdy. They're going to be a top 20 team. They're going to be playing good teams at home. There's going to be a lot of like, you know, natural energy to build off of and play off of. Um, But it is going to be interesting to see how they respond off of this weekend where I think a lot of players that maybe didn't have a ton of confidence going into the season have a lot of confidence now after the way they played under the lights and under pressure situations. Right. So that's going to be the thing to watch is like how Creighton comes out, how much energy they bring. And obviously the thing from a volleyball standpoint is like, what's, what's different about end game compared to the opening weekend? Like how much strides can they make in terms of their ability to, to put sets away, to put the ball down, to, to mitigate runs, to not let teams build late confidence against them, to not give sets away. Um, That'll be something to watch, right? Like how they, the response is always the thing to watch. It's not, Failure is going to happen. It's natural. Like that, teams are going to lose. You're not going to play well. You're going to wish you had some some plays back. It's part of athletics. It's part of sports. The response is kind of like the bigger deal, right? Like how you bounce back from that, don't you think? For sure. And I think, I mean, I don't know how much it's like. It's that balance of like how much do we talk about end game being an issue yeah. for us, right? And like, or does it help us to call attention to like it's kind of an issue, right? Like, so uh-huh. let's pay attention to it and let's make sure it's better when we get to that point in the game. So I think it's that balance, and especially for coaches trying to figure out like, are we gonna get in their heads or is this gonna be helpful information for them? So 
I'm kind of interested to see, um, you know, how they approach that, I guess, and just in terms of like, okay, are, are we just going to work on it with drills or are we going to talk about like, hey, when we hit 20, like we need to put the game away and mm-hmm. we need to be thinking strategically about who is my best option to set in every single, you know, position so that we can close out a game. So I'm interested to see if that translates. Um, and you have a lot more insight, obviously, like watching practice and that kind of stuff of what they're going to do. So I don't, I don't know. I guess we'll chat next week and see what happens after the tournament and see if yeah. that translated at all. Yeah, what tricks they tried. Yeah. Um. So uh, I, we talked a little bit, a lot about Ellie Bolton earlier, but winning an MVP, um, as a libero in a tournament like that, you know, twenty three digs against Duke, twenty two against Purdue. Like we talked about, how she passed, how great her first contacts were, how important she was to getting Creighton, you know, high percentage options offensively and. And, you know, how how vital she was, even though she didn't have any kills, um, how vital she was for Creighton to be able to terminate at a high rate throughout the weekend and give themselves, you know, a chance to be successful every match. Um, so here's the thing with Ellie. Like, I'm curious to see, like, of your insight in um, how impressed you are with her, her first weekend as, like, you know, everything that's about her, like a senior, she's played a lot of roles on this team, whether it's supportive or on court. Right. Um, and then for her to play well in a role where she has a lot of importance on the court. Um, how big is that for her? Even though she's a senior, even though she's played a lot of volleyball, even though she's won a lot, like, you know, all of this is probably second nature to her. She's like, she's probably not shocked. She played this well. Like she's like, you know, she probably thinks she probably knows she's capable of that, right? So it's not a surprise to her that she played this well. But what do you think it does for her to just have that on paper, to have that like in her bag, um, to win an MVP in the first weekend as a libero, like as a senior? Like, does how much how much effect do you think this can have on her season? Um, you know, I think it's a great start, obviously. And I mean, we talked about passing and digging for her, but I thought she did everything well. She put up second balls really well. She served really well. And last year, I mean, she was a big reason why they were able to go on big serving runs. And so I think for her to be in there all the time and kind of have that consistent playing time, you know, put tough serves over, put her hitters in really good positions when she got second ball opportunities to set. I thought that was huge as well. Um, and a part of her game that maybe doesn't go as noticed. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I think it's just, I mean, it's a great start. And like you said, I mean, everything about it makes a perfect storyline, right? Like she's somebody who's kind of like had to wait in the wings maybe for like her spot to open up and to earn that spot, but has competed and put in a ton of like time and effort and, work over the years to kind of get that opportunity to get the starting libero position and obviously it's really hard to even break into the starting lineup and then to keep your position I think is really hard as well because there's so many great players so for her I think it's great hopefully she keeps playing at a really high level um and honestly you know this team I thought passed better than maybe any Creighton team I remember just like consistently for three days I thought service received passed and dug balls really, really well. And obviously you had two other DSs in that mix too. So I think they have a really good backcourt and hopefully they continue just to play that steady serve receive and defense. Yeah. What do you think of Creighton's two DS like lineups? That's the, that's something that Kirsten talked about in the, in, 
you know, the lead up to the regular season, like you could see that, like you could see Creighton go more, you know, less, less offense oriented, more defense oriented, put two DSs back there, like be more um, focused on passing serve receive, like making sure they're making the ball hard to get down for other teams, like that kind of thing. What did you think of Creighton's two DS lineups when they put them out there this weekend? Like, you know, Sidney Brysinger, you know, walk on freshman played really well. Like Ellie Bolton, obviously we're talking about her, you know, Sky McCune had some moments like Morgan Colangelo got some reps. Like, what did you think of Creighton's, you know, I guess versatility defensively, like they can go big, but they can also go small and more of a ball handling lineup. What did you, how did you evaluate those? I think it worked. I mean, I think just looking at passing numbers and defense and everything, obviously I think it was beneficial for them. Obviously you lose maybe that offensive firepower in the back because I mean, sometimes you have a DS that can swing every once in a while, but I don't think any of them will really be getting hitting reps out of the back. Um, So I don't know. We'll, We'll see what happens. Obviously, I mean, that can change things up. If you're really stuck in a rotation and you think you need that back row attack option, you could always, you know, sub out. I think something yeah. you might run into with using so many DS subs sometimes might run out of subs if you go into extra points. Um, mm-hmm. So that's something to watch in the future if they get stuck in that um, sort of thing. That always seems to happen maybe once or twice a season. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll see. I don't know. I thought they did a great job, obviously. And um, you also have offensive people in the front row that you trust. And I think having mm-hmm. that other middle that you trust to get you out of a rotation will help with not having maybe that back row option. So I think that's something that's a little bit different this year. I think they have two really good middle options and two really good outside options that they'll trust at any point in time. Yeah. And speaking of the two outside options, like Ava Martin was awesome this weekend. And, you know, it's kind of, it, it was, it was funny to me a little bit that, I mean, first of all, Nora Sis had an amazing way tournament match last year. Like it was her best. I mean, thirty career high thirty kills. Like she tried to will Creighton to, uh, you know, to a victory when they were shorthanded without Kendra. Like she and she almost did it. Um. So I think, and then she had the amazing summer with with uh you know the the national team. Uh, so I think like it was probably easy to look at Creighton from the outside and go like, yeah, I mean, Nora Sis is an established superstar. But like, what is Creighton around her? And for some reason, that was like part of the conversation. And I just don't, I don't quite get why. But I, I, I think this weekend reinforced maybe what some of us thought, like in our confusion of like, why is, why is Creighton being talked about as like Nora Sis and everyone else? You know what I mean? Because Kiana Schmidt had the best year of her career, and not just like the best year of her career, but like a legitimately like amazing year for a middle blocker, like objectively there's that's a great that's one of the best seasons the middle blockers had you know what i mean um she's back she's got a lot of experience and she's got a lot of confidence coming off that year and then ava martin is the reigning biggies freshman of the year so she's probably more confident than she's ever been because her season was reinforced with some accolades um and she played lights out against marquette in the biggies tournament which you always say is like that's kind of like an NCAA tournament match. It feels like it's just setting you up for that type of vibe, like that type of situation. It's that type of pressure. He killed. She was a problem, major problem for Marquette, and a big reason why Creighton won that as, as decisively as they did. Um, so for her to have the weekend she did, like Creighton kind of proved they're more than just Nora Sis, right? Like Because Nora hit, what Nora hit this weekend? I, I don't even know if she hit 200. She might have been the yeah, last Yeah, lap. she hit, yeah, she hit 184. 
Okay. So Creighton went Creighton went two and one and, and was a couple points away from a three and zero weekend on the road, winning a true road match over a top twenty five Big Ten upper tier Big Ten team with their ace like hitting sub two hundred. Like that that just that tells you that Creighton's like not a one trick pony, right? Like it's not the Nora Sis show and Creighton goes as she goes. Obviously, when she's playing at a superstar All American level. Um, Creighton's like damn near impossible to beat, right? Like only the best of the best are probably going to have a chance. Um, but when you have Kiana Schmidt and Amory Remus hitting 400 on over 40 swings, uh, when you have Kendra Wade only have one error on 36, you know, calling her number 36 times, like she had 1.45 kills per set as a setter. And then you have Ava Martin lead the team in total kills, kills per set, and hitting 312 as an outside. Like Creighton kind of like. Creighton like kind of told people like Nora Sis is amazing and she deserves all the praise she gets, but you know, we got some badasses on this roster too, right? Yeah, I mean I had seen that storyline a little bit too, and I was a little bit confused. I'm like, I feel like there's always people in positions um to score points. And I think, I mean, to play at the level that Creighton plays at and continues to want to get better and better, I think you have to build your team around more than one person. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously Norris, this is awesome. And I'm sure she'll have some big matches probably with 25 plus kills, you know, in a game. I mean, that's just to be expected at this point. Right. But I think you have times where other people can take over. And I think the yeah. best teams do that because you don't know, okay, Ava Martin, this is her night, right? Anne Marie, mm-hmm. this is her night. She's going to go off. Um, Kiara is going to go off. And I think when you have, players that can do that I think it just makes your team stronger and they can kind of pick up the slack right because not everyone's going to have their best night of volleyball every single night so yeah the parody aspect of it I think is special and it's special to see it this early in the season too for Creighton yeah I mean Norris just had an amazing match against Duke 27 kills she -hmm. hit 230 she had 15 digs like she was awesome like she was an all-american but Ava Martin had 20 kills and hit 405 like as a pin that's insane (laughs) you know what I'm saying like, so that's legitimately two dangerous, dangerous options as the pin. And I think it tells you something about Creighton, like we talked about it earlier. It tells you a lot about how Creighton thinks of their offensive parity, that they're willing to put Norris in the back row to start matches. Right? Like, because the, they know Norris is a really great passer. But if they know, if, if the coaching staff feels like, you know, we can start with our with our best, like our best offensive option in the back row to start a match and potentially be in some compromised rotations. Like it, it tells you how much confidence they have in Ava Martin. Doesn't it? Yeah. I think, I mean, some of that, I think sometimes is about like matchups, but of what rotation you're going to start in and that sort of thing. But at the same time, I think, I mean, you had Ava Martin out there starting matches off with big swings and building that confidence. And I think she's somebody that has a really heavy arm and um, can make an immediate impact, obviously. So, yeah, I think, I mean, you have really good options. And I think, I mean, you could even probably switch Ava Martin and Norris, like their yeah. position. And I think either of them would probably thrive because they're just both really versatile. So mm-hmm. I think for them, just having versatile hitters and people that can kind of do everything, um, is impressive and you know your team doesn't have to go ride like the Nora wave right every single night you have that option of okay Ava Martin is 
just going off today. Um, you know, your middles are going off. Kendra weights going off. You know, you just, you have options and that that's what makes it really dangerous for teams to defend. Mm -hmm. Last two things I want to talk about. Not sure how long they'll take, but these are the ones I want to talk about. <laughs> Number one, um, three game, three matches in three days, as opposed to three matches in two. How does, how do you feel about that change? Cause it's more about now it's more about like dates instead of matches. Like that's the change yeah. that they made this year. Do you see any like, because obviously the ripple effect there is like you're on the road longer if you're away from home. Um, and like it, you think maybe there's like a chance that it affects your performance on day three more than it would like a two day tournament. Right. But I, for me, it's like, and I felt this, I, I, you know, last year was a, there was a big, you know, the tournament at home was, a, was a big like, hello, why are, why is this still happening kind of thing? Because Creighton plays USC at like seven seven thirty, right? When I don't even know when they when they served that one up, but that was a high energy, like a lot of adrenaline, and the match ended like nine nine thirty, uh, and so what? Players are going back to their dorms, and I bet you like they're thinking about the match, they're answering text messages, like they're hyped still from the big win, and then you get turn around the next day. And play like you have to get yourself ready at 8 a.m. Play, you know, be ready to serve and pass at nine, be ready to play at 10. And Kentucky just like kicks the shit out of you. And you're like, I mean, well, like, first of all, like Kentucky played in the afternoon, Creighton played at night. Like, there's rest yeah. factors there that go into play. Like, Creighton's not, Creighton lost one of those sets 25 to five. And to me, I'm like, they're just tired. Like, they're just, you know, I mean, these are human beings, not robots out here. So I'm like, why are we doing the three and two instead of three and three? Like, what it, I think would be more reasonable from a rest standpoint, from a recovery standpoint. So they've gone to three and three now. Like, how do you feel about that? Do you think it's smart? Do you think it has an effect, uh, a negative effect? Um, do you think it's a good change? I feel like it's probably a good change. Obviously, like I never got to do that because we always did two, and yeah. and that was always hard. Obviously, I like, sense I sense some hesitation from you. Is there some hesitation there? Maybe I don't know. I'm, I mean, I've never done like three over three days, so I guess it just okay. was what I was used to. Obviously, that second day was always hard of of like trying to play your game. All right, get off your feet and rest, and a little bit, and then play again at the same time I think maybe your soreness doesn't set in quite as much yeah. um doing that turnaround and then obviously you get to go home earlier so I don't know I guess my last year it worked out well because we won all of our matches so that probably <laughs> that yeah. probably leaves like a good taste in my mouth right about how it went and things um but I don't know I mean the three days I think it also makes sense from a preparation standpoint to do one match a day because you can actually focus because We'd play mm -hmm. two, right? And you're like off your feet and you're trying to scout a team you now have to play in a few hours because your coaches didn't want to distract you with the other scout of the team. Yeah, they didn't so, want to overlap scouts, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think I think it's probably smart to approach it as a game a day. Um, but I don't know. I never got to do it. So I guess I don't really have that that great of an opinion on it. I've seen a I've seen a mixed reaction from it nationally so far. Like I think some coaches are like, yep, this is like this totally makes sense. We should have been doing this a long time ago. We should never go back. And then some coaches are like, yeah, my team was dragging ass on day three. And like, I don't, I don't think we should do this yeah. anymore. Like I can tell like they're tired. I can tell 
you know, they're not sharp because it's three, three and three, but I don't know. Like, I feel like you're, you train, I think teams train like this. Like it should make, I mean, volleyball gets more preseason training. I'll tell you right now, they get more. I don't know. They definitely don't get more than football. That's for sure. But they get more than soccer, men's or women's soccer. Oh, yeah. Like Creighton does two, like two days for the first week. And then you're training every single day for two, two hours plus two and a half hours. Like you're getting a lot of reps in. So um, I think like a volleyball player is more used to like stacking days on top of each other without a break in between, as opposed to, you know, play at night, turn around, play in the morning and then play again that night. Like when you look at the performance disparities, like Creighton, just in Creighton's history, I feel like, and this is, I have to go back and check this. I'm just speaking like anecdotally. I feel like Creighton plays better in matches one and three than they do in two. Because two is the hardest one. You, you're getting the least amount of rest from one. And, um, you know, you're just energies in a different place. Like you're not recharged yet. So I think three and three makes a ton of sense for from an athlete standpoint because you can just build each day into itself. Like it's a just, it just comes routine. And I think they train that way too. Like every single day, they don't, they don't take many days off in between each other. They take days off early and they practice and they play like they travel and they travel and they play. That's it. So I think it's, just, I think it just makes sense. I think it's the way they train. I think it's the way you should play. And I think three and two, especially when, you know, the second one's a quick turnaround is really hard, especially if you're playing a really good team. Like, you know, it has a chance to affect your resume. It has a chance to affect your performance, your confidence, all those kind of things. Like, I don't know. I think this is just common sense. I understand the hesitation about it because it's different, whatever. Um, and I, I, I do, I, I know why people have that point of view, but I think this is like something that once it continues to happen, people will be like, yeah, this is like, this is what it should be. I think it makes, I mean, it makes sense. I think from everything important, like rest wise and all of that, like, I think, it makes the most sense for that and scouting and being prepared, you know, and being like mentally ready to play another game. I think it makes sense to do one a day, but yeah, I don't know. So, um, what did I want to ask you just now? Like, uh, trying to think like what's AAU like for you guys? I'm trying to, I'm just, I'm trying to recall, like, I imagine it's just like it's just matches on matches and you're just going blind with volleyball. But like yeah. how many how many days are those tournaments like um how many matches in those tournaments are you usually playing? Like what's it like? Do you think like a volleyball player is more conditioned to play two and three or three and two than they are to three and three? Like do you think that's an adjustment from the grassroots level to the college level that's gonna take some time to adjust to, or is it does it happen more often at the younger levels? lower levels well i would say the big thing like you play less sets in club okay because you usually just play two sets of 25 and then one to 15 okay so it's not like five sets gotcha so i think so that's is, the big thing so there is going to be a transition then like a, there's going to be a where it's three and three days and you're playing full matches that's going to be by harder yeah. on younger, harder on younger players than it is on players that have done it more often yeah, I don't I don't know. I, I think sometimes it might be easier for people that come in, like a freshman that comes in, because, I mean, by the time you've played three to four matches a day, you've probably played at least five sets or more of college volleyball, right? So it's okay, like, yeah. 
comparable time, I would say, and like effort wise, because there might be times where you're playing, usually they're three day tournaments, like a long tournament, like a President's Day tournament that's hosted at CHI Center in Omaha. It's mm-hmm. a three day deal with your club team, right? So you have the okay. first day of you maybe play two or three matches. The second day you play two or three probably. And then you have like your championship day where you're playing until you win or whatever. So okay. it's multiple a day. I think once you get to college, like the only time you would ever play multiple is in the preseason. And now they're kind of going away from that. So I just think it's a different, I don't know. It's just different. Obviously with club, like you don't really scout like you do in college. So you just go out there and let it rip. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We never scouted. So. <laughs> <laughs> we just, just played. Like you just show up and you practice. The thing is like you show up and you, warm up for 10 minutes and then you're ready to play. And then in college you're warming up for three hours and then you're yeah. playing the games. So like, that's yeah. the thing too. Like at some point, like in college, I was like, all right, like I'm sick of warming up. Like, can we play the game? Yeah. Exactly. Right. Like, I've been here for three hours, like stretching and getting treatment and doing serving pass. And then, Oh, we have to do the warm up still. Like, mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, we're still here. Like why yeah. six years later we're playing the game. You know? Line up already. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go. Let's play the game. I feel you. Um, so the other thing, last thing I want to talk about is the ABCA poll. Obviously, it updates every week. Uh, like I don't know. I think I think the ABC. First of all, I think the ABCA poll is one of the best of the coaches' polls. So I want to give it some credit there. However, like it just it's it's getting more annoying that volleyball doesn't have more of the more of the like traditional. Um, coverage methods that other sports have. Like, it just hit me today, like, as I looked at a poll from preseason to this week, and and I watched a lot of the matches over the weekend, you know, on ESPN Plus and SC Network and all that kind of stuff, just to kind of, like, get a gauge for what the other top teams in the country were looking like compared to Creighton, right? So Creighton started the year 18. They go to Purdue. They sweep Loyola Chicago, who is uh, still receiving votes in the top 25 ABCA poll, right? They're a really good team, a lot of experience back, preseason A-10 favorites, NCAA tournament team from a year ago, won 25 matches. Um, They sweep Purdue on their home floor, rowdy crowd, true road environment. Purdue's top 25, number three recruiting class in the nation, number one overall recruit in the country, reigning Big Ten freshman of the year. A lot of talent on that team. Creighton sweeps them too. And then they lose a five setter to Duke, like where they were first to 24 in one, two, three, and four. Um, and had, you know, multiple set points in the first three sets, especially, and just didn't put it away. And they lost a five setter. And you know, five when the, when it gets to the fifth set, it's coin toss, whoever gets out, you know, to a good start, like usually doesn't give it up. It's hard to go on runs in five setters because you only play into 15. So it's kind of a coin toss, like. It's kind of a like a crapshoot of a set. Um, so when you lose five setter, they lost a competitive five setter. Like it's my my point. And so they released the ABCA poll updated and Creighton drops two spots in the rankings. And I'm like, all right, like fine. This and I want to make sure that people aren't understanding this. I'm not coming from like the like sour grapes. Oh, Creighton Homer perspective. That's part of it. I think Creighton got jobbed a little bit dropping in the rankings after the weekend they had. Because so I'm like. There's no way you can watch that team and think they're close. They should be closer to 20 than they are to 15, which is what essentially the voters said. Like, you started at 18. We watched you play. We're putting you at 20. That's where we think you belong. Like, 
Washington State moved up from 21 to 17. Washington State went two and one this weekend. They got smacked by Louisville. Okay, like a non-competitive match, which is like fine. You're not going to dock Washington State for that. But you jump them four spots when all they did was beat a right state team that won 28 matches last year, but they replaced their defensive player of the year and their setter of the year. So like they're not same 28 win right state team like that. So that's their that's their marquee win from the weekend. The other team they beat was Troy, who is like trying to think of like a Big East equivalent. Troy's like Seton Hall, like Villanova. You know what I mean? Like you're not you're not impressing voters with a win over Troy. Like the right state win was the impressive win, but it's over a right state team that's rebuilding. So how does Washington why does Washington State jump four spots when they got smacked by the best team they played? Um and beat a good mid major that's rebuilding. Why is that why are they jumping four spots? Why are they jumping Creighton? Creighton had a harder weekend. Like or a more impressive weekend. They had more impressive wins. Plural. Uh Baylor went from 15 to 16 when they didn't win a match. Granted, they played Wisconsin and Minnesota, but they got destroyed. Like there wasn't like that wasn't like something where they like could have won the matches. They were they were rolled. They were drilled by both those teams. So they only dropped one spot just because they're Baylor. Kentucky lost to Colorado State and beat Northern Colorado, and they dropped from 10 to 15. Like Kentucky didn't play top 15 volleyball this weekend. Penn State went from 8 to 14. They got smoked by Florida and Georgia Tech. Like, I know Penn State's Penn State, but they didn't give you any indication this weekend that they're a top 15 team. When you go in and you lose four setters to other top 20 teams that aren't, now Florida and Georgia Tech aren't top 10 teams either. That's the other part of it. Now they are because the rankings shifted, but they were 11 and 20 and they rolled Penn State and Penn State stays in the top 15. Why? So I think like we're the the part of it that I feel like is is annoying me is like why is there not a media poll for volleyball? Like why is there not a poll for people who have like enough time to watch the matches? Because what the coaches are doing by voting is like you know what coaches are doing on the weekend. The way volleyball tournaments are set up, they're just watching their opponent and their own team. So they're voting like blind. They're voting on like paper, you know what I mean? So and you look across every other sport, football has a media poll, which, you know, it goes away in the middle of the season when the when the official college football rankings come out. But like it has a media poll that has a lot of prestige and notoriety and credibility. Men's basketball has one. Women's basketball has one. Baseball has one. Softball has one. Men's and women's soccer have one. Like that's that's all the major sports. Like I've covered the whole spectrum right there. Volleyball is the only major sport and it's one of the most popular ones in terms of its growth and its its continued popularity of the last few years like why doesn't volleyball have a media poll yet why is it just like coaches going off blind results um when they haven't watched any of those matches like trying to formulate who the who the haves and haves not have nots are of the sport like that doesn't make sense does it how do you feel about oh, that's ranking? a good point you need to start it you got any friends that have have connections <laughs> White and blue review.com study the volleyball. <laughs> a volleyball yeah, I created my own volleyball pool. <laughs> I mean, um, I guess if it were to originate, it would have to originate in Nebraska, right? It would make the most sense for all. It would make sense. Yeah. It for sure would. I mean, you've got so many people, even in the state of Nebraska, I think that would back that. Exactly. 
and you know the people in the state of Nebraska are watching volleyball all around the country. Like constantly, yeah. They'd have a good pulse on who's playing well and who's doing what. And... It's a Nebraska poll. That's what it is. Just people in Nebraska. Yeah. We'll just call it the state of Nebraska volleyball, like <laughs> something like that. Just the opinions of all the Nebraska people. That yeah. Volleyball. Heart Heartland Association volleyball poll or something like. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, like, isn't it weird that volleyball is the only major sport that doesn't have like it's got computer rankings and like other metrics and things like that, that individuals do, but it's, there is no human poll beyond just the coaches. That's kind of weird, isn't it? Yeah. I guess I didn't really think about it. Cause I don't know. I guess I just only always had one poll to go off. Of. I know exactly. ABCA uh, was the beginning and end. I think I, you know, it's, it's like, it's whatever. I mean, human polls are pretty stupid anyway. Like they don't matter in the end. Like they don't determine no, they don't but... determine the NCAA tournament. They don't determine seeds. They don't determine who's, you know, going to do what. I just think from a sports standpoint, conversation is how you generate growth. Like, even if it's negative, like, even if it's like this team's overrated as hell, like who in their right mind is voting them top 10 or like where they're at, like, <laughs> why is this team not there? You know, like Long Beach State went and beat Texas this weekend in four sets. They're not ranked. I, I know they got they got swept by Loyola Marymount, but Mary, Mary LMU is good. Like decent, yeah. You can't like tell me that. You can't tell me. You can't tell me two things. You can't tell me Texas is top ten and Long Beach State isn't ranked. That's like, true. You can't. You can't that's, that doesn't work. It doesn't work like that. If Long Beach State is beats Texas's brains in in four sets, you can't keep Texas in the top ten and keep Long Beach State out of the top twenty five. Those two either either Texas is out of the top ten. Or Long Beach State belongs in the top twenty-five. If you think Texas is the real deal, still right? Like that—that that doesn't that math doesn't math, does it? So like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, so that's what I'm talking about. Like, I think it's time. Like, because here's the thing: the media media poll, as fun as it is to criticize, that's like generating conversation, generating engagement around the sport. Yeah, whether that's... it's like negative and like catty and and cheesy and like you know too much like of the embrace debate that espn kind of ruined itself with like whether it does it ventures into that realm or not i think that's good for sports because it's it's conversation at the end of the day it's not like outrightly toxic that it's just it's more negative than positive i think conversation is part of growth like i think the sport having you know random weirdos on twitter going this team's overrated they're all bums like I think that's like just part of sports, you know what I'm saying? So I think volleyball, it's time for it to have one. I think it's a, it's prominent enough of a sport. I would consider it a major college sport at this point. Um, I think it's time to kind of like put together a, you know, a group of people who have been watching the sport for a long time and give them like a a, a voice of telling the the reader and the watcher and the viewer like who's who's really good and who isn't. Like aside from the coaches poll who they don't watch as much. Like they just, they don't have time. It's not, it's not, like it's just not feasible. It's not like, like an overall critique. They can still have a coaches poll, but also have a media one, you know? Right. I think, I think these are good points. I think you need to start it. Okay. So we we're in agreement there. So I appreciate it. I think it would work. be fun. I mean, like you said, creating conversation about, about it i think i think people are ready for it especially it's like you see comments i feel like on twitter or instagram mm-hmm. if like NCAA volleyball posts something and people are like what like you know yeah. just, everyone has opinions and i think that's the thing 
obviously in Nebraska, there's a lot of Nebraska Husker fans that are obviously diehards and they're ready to argue over their Huskers versus this team and that team. And I think we see a lot of that yeah. here just because of the strength of volleyball. So I think nationally, yeah. it could create some really good conversations. Yeah, well, we exactly. The conversation we see around the teams in this region, like mm-hmm. we that could be created nationally if you had like, if you had media members across the spectrum saying like, here's my top 25 ballot. Here's my weekly, who I think is really good, where they belong. And that generates conversation because those people have followings and they'll get feedback. Like whether like you're the a freaking idiot. Why would you have this team over that team? Like, why are you having, whether like that aside, like that hasn't ruined any other sport. It exists in basketball. Yeah. It exists in football, baseball, like, but it, it it builds like engagement and following and like it, it gets people invested. So that's part of it. Like I think I think there's two things that volleyball needs to do is one highlight individual players more, like make make it more like less team dominant and more like this person is a legitimate superstar, like uh, an ambassador for the game, like a must see attraction kind of thing, like build up the individual part of it more and get a media poll going where like different outlets are putting out their polls and like getting conversation generated about volleyball. I think that would, those are two things that I think would improve the, the growth of the following, especially in the casual realm. Like I don't think there's anybody who like lives and breathes volleyball and grows up, you know, going to club tournaments or a coaching club or like having kids play volleyball. Like that's not the audience that needs to be reached anymore. Like that audience is tapped. They're locked in. They know their sport. They know their stuff. They're following whether it's good or bad. Like the casual audience is where volleyball needs to start siphoning out some viewers. Because I think that's what – I think the casual audience would love this sport if they were kind of catered to more. And the way you cater to them is just generate some like surface-level conversation. It's not too in-depth, like, but just get some engagement going. And I think that's what the national championship on ABC is going to do because you're going to reach an audience – you're going to reach eyeballs that haven't seen volleyball ever before or don't really, you know, are only following it on a casual basis. Like having a network television national championship, you know, that's going to be huge for the sport. And I think having a media poll and, you know, highlighting some individual players and like, you know, putting them in that super on that superstar pedestal, like that is the next step, I think, for the popularity of the sport itself. I think, the, I think the sport itself does the job on its own, right? Like the athleticism, the technique, the the tactics, the strategies, like the play itself speaks for itself, don't you think? Like the rest of it is where it's lacking, I think. Yeah, I think so. I think there's like some things. I feel like NCAA volleyball is like tried to like get a little bit more going, right? Like of like featuring teams and they were going yeah. on like a tour of different teams around the country, I think, and things like that. But at the same time, it's like I'm not seeing, I feel like like all the content that they're trying to like pump out of there. And yeah, I don't know. I'm interested to see, and then I'm also interested to see what happens with the pro teams that yes. are going to be produced and the two pro teams in Omaha and how that's going to. I don't know. I'm just interested in the attendance and how that works, and mm-hmm. especially here in Omaha and CHI Health Center for the Omaha Supernovas and all that. So I just think there's a lot going on, um, obviously professionally now, and then in college that will be interesting to see how they kind of cover that and um, mm-hmm. attendance and following and all of that kind of stuff. 
But the the and the the key thing about like professional sports thriving is on its individual base. Like, you know, when you get a superstar, like you know, when you get players who you know are studs, that that that's how professional leagues thrive. Like they are superstar driven from a marketing standpoint. You know what I mean? And yeah. I think if, if volleyball started at the college level, then professional sports, the professional sports side of it in the US would thrive as well because you'd be like, okay, let's just take Anora Sis. Like if we build her up as a superstar, like main attraction, must see, gotta go watch this kid play. Um, if you do that in college, when that kid goes pro, then fans are gonna be like, oh, you know, we're getting Nora Sis, like this is huge, or we're getting like, um, mm-hmm. yeah, who was the Wisconsin stud Carter Booth? Like, it was a young stud this weekend that had an amazing weekend. Like, oh man, we can't wait to, you know, if you're, then you start thinking about tanking and all that kind of stuff. Like all that, I'm going on different different rabbit holes here, but like that's how you build your your casual fan base into like a a true real fan base and how the sport kind of grows from there. You know what I mean? That's that's the next step. These are all really good ideas. I feel like you need like a think tank group or something for all of your ideas. That's what I have you for, unfortunately. You're the only one who <laughs> you're the only one who has like humored me on this podcast. I'll build so you up. Those are good ideas. I all think right, they're cool. all points. All right. That's enough for us from week one. I think we went like <laughs> 90 minutes, wait minute, a little bit longer than that. Um so hopefully you guys enjoyed the show. We talked uh, you know, a lot about Creighton's opening weekend and big picture stuff and yeah, so Coming up this weekend, they're at home, so it's the home opener on Friday at 6 p.m. against Ball State. And then guess what? They're going to turn around and play on Saturday at 5 p.m. So they're going to get a full day's rest, the whole night's sleep, you know, rest and recovery. What a concept. And then they're going to turn around on Sunday and play another match against you and I, a familiar foe. So it's going to be a good weekend. Um, so get out to DJ Soulful Arena. Ball State on Friday at 6 p.m. LSU on Saturday at 5 p.m. Uh, Northern Iowa on Sunday at 2.30. Um, So, yeah, we'll see you all in the arena, and then we'll talk to you again on Monday. Hope you all have a good week. This has been the Creighton Volleyball Wrap-Up Podcast. For Megan Epperson, I am Matt DeMarinas. Talk to you all soon.